4: Start and end your day with the good news, the good news with Angie Austin. Find the podcast of past shows at AngieAustinRadio.com. Now here's Angie Austin and friends with the good news.
3: Hey, it is Angie Austin and the good news gals and soon we'll be uh, joined by an author who's taking an emotionally naked look at mental illness. And I think there's a lot of discussion these days with the violence in our society, particularly surrounding uh, school shootings, that mental illness has come into the uh, topic of conversation numerous times. This author, Michelle Dickinson Moravec, is the author of Breaking into My Life, Growing Up with a Bipolar Parent and My Battle to Reclaim Myself. And uh, really her story is one of perseverance and triumph as a, it's pretty painful because she kind of reveals what it was like taking care of her bipolar mother as a child, so being the parent, and that seesaw between mania and deep depression that her mom, uh, you know, lived with and that she also lived with as her caretaker, and then she gains her independence uh, from her mother only to marry the male version of her mother. Uh, which is always kind of a um, a harsh reality when sometimes we make choices that are similar to the choices that maybe our parents made in our younger years that we didn't agree with. Uh, So Michelle will join us in just a little bit with that. But we've got the good news gals here. Tyra Lalo is back, and she is a worship leader. Uh, Michelle, Janine, Cindy, and Monique are here as well. And we like to share good news stories with you and talk about how God is working in our lives and hopefully bring a little bit of sunshine into your Day, I'm in the midst of a really difficult journey starting my own uh, show and really starting from scratch because a lot of people are like, wow, that's amazing. You have your own syndicated show and you picked up all these affiliates and these stations around the country are interested in taking my show, but you're not working for anyone. So that means you find the music, you get the voiceover guy, you hire the board operator, you hire the sales team, you hire the affiliate sales team, um, you make calls, you get contracts, you make up a clock for your show, you do all of these details that I never did before when I worked for someone. So it is very satisfying, but it's extremely overwhelming because there's so many details that I don't think I would be able to handle if I didn't have a lot of my friends kind of coming in and helping me with it. So I'm not quite myself. I'm a little low on energy. So I'm just trying to keep it real. (laughs) Yeah, keeping it real. (laughs) That's a good thing. Yeah, (laughs) That's a lot. I'm telling you, it's like being your own business, really. Yeah, mm-hmm. be your own business. And then also like try to manage other people at things that maybe you aren't that good at doing yourself. Mm-hmm. And you're trying to like bring your team around and be like, well, let's try this. And I'll, here, I'll help with that. And, but I don't really know how to do it myself. <laughs> right, right? Think, or else
4: you will be doing it. Right. In starting
0: any new business, there's not a template or a right or wrong way to do it. Mm-hmm. I think anybody that's had a business, I know I can speak from this space you know you wing it mm-hmm. and you try one thing and then then you then you go to the next and then you go to the next and the next some things work and some things work sometimes and they don't work other times mm-hmm. so it's a journey and it's just staying in there I always said to myself the secret of success is constancy of purpose ah. so just to see that big picture out in front mm-hmm. and just know that you're going for that and yeah. doing the best you can every yeah. day
3: well, I think part of the challenge, too, is that I could just stay home and raise my kids now. So am I doing them a disservice by getting up at 3 o'clock in the morning and having them say, you're always tired? Mm. There's that decision as well. Lot Lots of questions that. to yeah. ask. and yeah. Yeah. I think everybody,
2: everybody struggles with that. Um, to figure, it's a fine line between, you know, doing, doing maybe overextending yourself and being available. But it's, I mean, it's... I think you have to you have to do things for yourself as well. There's nothing wrong with furthering yourself.
3: Well, I think it's good for them to see how hard their parents work too. I, I mean, agree. My, with nobody that, works definitely. harder totally than my agree husband with that. Yeah. They do and my co-host and said, Angie. My co-host said, <laughs> "Angie, you. no one's going to outwork us cuz he also works really hard and he doesn't get paid either." My mm, co-host. Wow. So he's in the same boat I am. You know, initially you don't get paid as you mm you know build your business right. and you build right. your number of stations that are interested in taking your show, but I have to admit I picked up more stations than my prior company picked up for me in several years. We picked up in like two weeks. Wow! Oh yeah, wow. praise awesome. God! Yeah. yeah, that's pretty crazy. My husband's like, "That's really nice," except they <laughs> affiliates aren't the ones that pay the bills. <laughs> 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 right,
2: the affiliates sure don't keeps pay you the grounded. bills. Oh my, oh my gosh! Like, he gets me sure, like like real. <laughs> I always <laughs>
3: I always joke around with my husband. And I'm like, because he used to give me all this um advice about my TV news career, and I and I I remember after we shortly got married i go now you do know that before i met you i actually had a career and worked in the number two market and i bought my own house my own car like you do know that i actually did sign contracts on my own and do all this and so i think that they really think that they um are protecting us from the yes, world by yeah. giving us all this advice mm-hmm. schooling us mm-hmm. you know
2: so he met you after you were kind of done with the big la show i
3: he I left LA and he helped hire me in Denver. He was oh, okay. on the decision making oh. team that hired me for the morning show. He was my director.
2: Okay. Oh wow. Yeah. See now the more you talk about him, the more he kinda sounds like my ex husband Andy. Um great guy.
3: Yeah. <laughs> they actually get along well, those two. They do get along. Yeah, were they in, the, they, were, were they in the Marines? Were they in the Marines? Because they seem like Marines it's to me. It's kind
2: of funny. It cracks me up. <laughs> well, so it's funny because I played college volleyball. I mean, and we play, I mean they won the national champ. I say they. I was on the team, but I was on the bench. So we won the national championship <laughs> oh, that is as hilarious. my fr- as a freshman. Yeah. So the guy, he, he will see me on a bike or see me running, and he thinks it's hilarious. He's like, look at you, running. <laughs> you can't run. I'm like... <laughs> I was was on a national championship volleyball (laughs) (laughs) team. Athlete.
3: (laughs) That was hilarious. You got to remind them sometimes. Oh, my no, my favorite one. My favorite one. like at Monique's giving me the look that I'm supposed to be more of a humble wife. Um, my, um, no, wait. No, no. My husband. My, no, no. my favorite one. My favorite one that my husband did to me. So I'm in my new radio show at the time, and uh, my boss was helping me with something. And then my boss cut this demo for me or something. And then I, I was explaining the conversation we had. And my husband said, well, I never would have said that. Well, you said that? Well, I never would have told him that. I wouldn't have had him do that. Why did you have him do that? And I'm like, first of all, it is a done deal. Like, we already did it, right? And my boss had offered to do this for me. And uh, we're still actually really good friends. He's helping right, right now in this new endeavor. But it just cracked me up that after you've done something to then say, well, I can't believe you did it. Why, why, I would have never done that. Why did you? What? You did that? You know, and Like and you're just standing there, just like you are like six years old, you know, and you are on your way to kindergarten with your little, you that know, pink, pink teddy bear backpack. And you're like, what do you mean I shouldn't have done that, you know? And it just went down me at you, up. too. It's yeah. Like, you know. Well, the thing is, is that, you know, he really does respect me. It's just, I think their way of communicating sometimes is different than ours. We couch this more yes. because when his kids, company went public he said to his parents "He said we're so. they said we're so proud of you he said you know who you should be proud of is Angie because she worked for three years to support wow. me doing my That's startup beautiful. so she's awesome. the one you should be proud of. So he actually is really proud of me. I know It's just sometimes is. his way of wording things is. It's without a filter. Yes. Yeah. No filter. Yeah men don't filter. They don't put yeah. smiley faces no. and no. exclamation points and like a s- uh, little hearts <laughs> right. about right. their Almost. eyes. Paws. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think a
2: lot of times it's easier uh, for them to brag on you to other people than to That's tell true. you. to your face. Okay. Like, so funny you, so you say that
3: because one of my TV friends found out that I had my own radio show now, my name, and, and that I was syndicating on my own. And she said, Oh my gosh, you should have heard your husband ta- um, bragging about you at work. I'm like, yeah. That's so nice. I'm like, no, My husband or yours? <laughs> <laughs> no, yours. You, my husband? That yeah. was so
0: stinking funny. He's he's proud of man. you. Yeah. You need those Shut. little spies to tell. Yes. You. yes right. I need you. a spy.
3: <laughs> Are you guys ready to talk to Michelle? So I've spoken with Michelle before, and I think this is a conversation we can all uh, really get into, especially with you know school shootings and talking about mental illness and you know guns and uh, wh- who's allowed to purchase guns and figuring out whether or not like. Shooters should have been uh, red flagged long before tragedies occur. Um, And so Michelle Dickinson Moravec is talking about her uh, book, Breaking into My Life Growing Up with a Bipolar Parent and My Battle to Reclaim Myself. So uh, helping to, you know, take care of her mother as a child and then actually marrying someone who was very similar to her mother. So welcome, Michelle.
5: Uh, Thanks for having me, Angie.
3: All right. So, give us kind of a nutshell, a synopsis of your book and your life experience.
5: Oh, sure. Okay. So, well, I grew up with a mom who had bipolar disorder, um, and because she was so sick, I was really forced to play the role of a caregiver and look after her. Um, and then, you know, that impacted me in many, many ways throughout my childhood, my young adult years, and to the point that you just made—that I repeated that familiar pattern and. In the choice of a mate that I that I selected, and um, through the course of my I guess 46 years, <laughs> I've been just doing some exploring and really some self discovery um, that has gotten me to the point of removing the anger and the resentment and frustration from my mom that I once had, and kind of replaced it with compassion and love, recognizing that she did the best she could, and the impact that it's had on me in my life and. What I need to do to keep myself um, well and moving forward and and that means constantly breaking into my life and um, looking within and and seeing those patterns that still seem to
3: surface. So what did you, uh, let's be honest, it must have been a real shock to end up marrying someone just like your mom.
5: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But you know what? It's really it's really not when you reflect back on it, right? When you're in it, you're like, oh, I'm in love. But then the reason you're in love is because it's a very familiar, like, comfortable sofa that you're living in and it's not healthy, right? So I attracted that. Um, and it's it, it was just a pattern, right? Because it was familiar for me. So yeah, it was frustrating to recognize it. But um, when you can kind of unpack it and realize that that's just familiar it's not healthy then you can move on
4: questions ladies <laughs> i i think um because i always say my two older sisters um one is 6 years older than me and the other is 4 years older than me they saw a lot of my parents relationships and relationship and they couldn't recognize, recognize that they were, that they attracted the same type of men that Mm -hmm. my daddy um, is, was, is. So I can see what you're saying about that, because once my older sister, she just went through a really bad divorce about a year and a half ago, and she said to me, oh, my God, I married daddy. Mm -hmm. And it was just so, to see her face, she was so heartbroken because my sisters and I, we tried so hard to, you know, not be like our parents and to then just have that epiphany one day that, oh my God, I, I married daddy. And like the tears just began to roll down her eyes. Mm-hmm. And I just told her, she and my other sister, you know, they were both in abusive relationships. And I said, you guys saw so much of mom and dad's relationship. And as kids, you think that's normal.
5: Yeah. And
4: in my formative years, I, you know, I didn't spend a lot of time with either one of my parents. And I moved with my um, grandmother when I was six, but they were 12 14 and 12 so it was so they like, saw a
3: lot more and learned a they lot saw
4: more. a lot more and their as far as relationships their opinions they had been formed so yeah. they they really thought that that was normal what they saw and it somehow like you said that's what they attracted right
0: yeah what did that feel for like for you for as a child You know, when
5: you're in it, you you know, to to your point about that being your normal, like it was just what I did. Right. I had to look after my mom. I I had to make sure she was okay. I had to um, care for her. Um, I felt very needed. I mean, you know, that fulfilled something on my part of being needed. Mm -hmm. Um, But that was my normal. Um, So I can't I can't say it felt awful because I didn't know anything else.
1: Hmm. Boy, it sounds like, too, that you had to grow up, you know, uh, pretty quickly. Um, You had to do grown-up things because our parents are supposed to take care of us and guide us and tell us what to do and what not to do and, you know, right and wrong and all that. But it just really sounds like you had to do a lot of growing up really fast. I did.
5: And it's, it's so funny you mentioned that. Um, I did, right? I had to clean the house. I had to make dinner. I had to mm-hmm. stay home with my mom when she was so sick that my father couldn't stay home another day. He had to go to work. So mm-hmm. there were a lot of responsibilities placed on me um, as, a, as a child. And it's funny, you know, like I'm 46 and I don't have any children of my own. Mm-hmm. And like a few years ago through some self-discovery work that I did, I, I got for myself that I didn't want to have a child because I basically cared for my mother as a child, you know, so yeah. I didn't want that. But I wow. never knew why I didn't want children, so this was,
3: interesting. This was really eye-opening.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that is interesting.
3: Yeah, I think it is a real, I don't know, like a glass of cold water in your face when you see that maybe you've made decisions like parents that, you know, you vowed never to, you know, put yourself in a situation like that again. So in writing the book, uh, what, what did you want the takeaway to be? What did you want us to learn through your experience dealing with your mother's mental illness and then your spouse's mental illness?
5: Yeah, sure. So, you know, there's a couple of things, right? So I think um, having the knowledge that no matter what we've endured as, as young people, um, that people can overcome any adversity, right? Mm-hmm. If I could uh, overcome this, I want people to recognize that the past doesn't dictate your future. So if you're willing to do the work and look within and really get connected to, to what's there for you, you can overcome adversity, right? That's, that's very important on, mm-hmm. on just such a basic level. Mm-hmm. Um, the other part is around mental illness. You, know, you, you talk about you know, the shootings and such, and so that's such a small percentage, though, of mm-hmm. the mental illness that really lives. And is unspoken, Mm -hmm. you know, people suffering in silence, not talking about it, not knowing where to go to get resources, shame, all of that. Like, I want people to get that through conversation, stigma can't live. So if we just started being bold and talking about it, like we talk about heart disease, maybe one day we'll be bringing casseroles to people's houses when they're diagnosed with a mental illness, just as if they were diagnosed with cancer.
3: And wouldn't that be a beautiful thing to take the stigma off of it because there's a lot of stigma and anger and embarrassment around, you know, someone in the family that's different from the others. I was just watching uh, something on the Kennedy family and their daughter that was not as academically skilled as the other kids. And then, uh, uh, you know, uh, the dad um, sending her for basically what ended up being a lobotomy and living with that guilt with her being institutionalized when allegedly he thought he was helping her Um, in the case of... two of my brothers. Uh, One of my brothers was murdered and the other brother um, struggles with mental illness to this day. And I called him recently to see if he'd gotten something for Valentine's Day and just received like the oddest response from him. And there's like anger and irritation. Like, don't you realize I'm the only one in the family that even has anything to do with you? And I reach out to you. And then sometimes you feel like just kicking sand in your face. And even me having grown up around these, you know, people in my family with mental illness that sometimes I lack the empathy that I should have have for their situation that if he had cancer, I wouldn't be irritated at his response to me when I call. But since he has mental illness, I get kind of annoyed with him. I get annoyed that the way he talks and the way he responds and the things that he says to me and the things that they call me sometimes, it's just, it's hard to wrap your head around it.
5: It's punishing, Angie, to be a caregiver and to love have someone, have someone who punishes you with it, their illness. Exactly. Exa- it's totally normal, but it is punishing. It's it's almost to the point where it can be thankless to reach out to people it that is. are abusive mm-hmm. like that. But but that's why I talk about on my website and my book, I talk about that people who love people with mental illness, they need to protect themselves. I mean, I learned later on in my 20s from a mm-hmm. from a therapist that I needed to distance myself from my mother or I would continuously be um, taunted Harmed. and punished and, and just bruised. So, I mean, you've got to protect good. yourself first and foremost. You know. Yeah, I think those I, I, boundaries
3: are so important, but I, I want the stigma to, like you said, through the conversations, the stigma is lifted because we can talk about mental illness without the shame. Yes. And so to think of it more like cancer or heart disease or something that we have a little more empathy towards them, but you're right, boundaries are so important because when you let those boundaries down, they can harm you as well. Uh, And they're not necessarily trying to harm you or hurt you, but because of what they're dealing with, uh, their words can be so painful, and physically they can be violent as well. So we definitely have to protect ourselves. Michelle Dickinson Moravec, again, the book is Breaking Into My Life, Growing Up With a Bipolar Parent, and My Battle to Reclaim Myself. Do you have a website you can send us to, Michelle?
5: Sure. It's www.breakingintomylife.com.
3: Excellent. It was a pleasure to have you on the show again. Thank you, Angie, Thanks, Appreciate the Michelle. opportunity. Okay. Bye bye. Eye opener, huh? Mm, yeah. Yeah. But yeah.
4: people when I when I tell people, you know, it's okay, even if the person doesn't have Yeah, that's okay. You're fine. Keep going. A mental illness, it's okay to set healthy boundaries.
3: Yeah. Like with my dad,
4: I set healthy boundaries. And that's so
3: important to protect ourselves. To
4: protect myself because I got tired of going through, you know, getting my feelings hurt. And my sister calls me on But we have to have the
3: conversation. I'm sorry we're out of time. We'll be right back.
0: Good news of Jesus
6: for you in high-definition radio and streaming at 670KLTT.com.
0: This is KLTT Commerce City, Denver.
3: And arkthrift.org for a location near you if you just want to drop a few things off and do a little shopping. Arkthrift.org, shopping with a purpose. I love Arc. Angie Austin here. Well, you just heard uh, a local group, and if you're joining us from another city other than Denver, uh, my apologies, but I think that you will really enjoy this next segment. And when I say enjoy, I mean really it's an eye-opener about what is going on in our country when it comes to sex trafficking. This is an adult topic. You are going to hear a testimony of a woman that I have interviewed in the past. Her name is Annie Lobert, and she has started a ministry to uh, rescue women from sex trafficking. She's also uh, written the book Fallen out of the sex industry and into the arms of the savior Uh, and again annie lobert l-o-b-e-r-t so we're going to hear her story in a minute and uh, this uh, shiftfreedom.org is where you can get tickets for the uh, concert and uh, speaker on the 23rd at cherry hills community church and shiftfreedom.org. Uh, I really think it'll be a learning, eye-opening experience because many of us think that sex trafficking isn't uh, something that's that common. Uh, but we, we're learning in Colorado, it's a lot more common than we would like it to be, and across the United States. If you're listening uh, to this in Birmingham or in, uh, you know, in Oregon. Uh, I think it's a tough topic to talk about, but I don't want to avoid topics just because they're difficult. And as Christians, I think we need to be on the leading edge of helping these young people. Uh, and, you know, part of what they're going to do is warn uh, young people at this event the signs that we talked about uh, as well. So, again, Annie Lobert, and, you know, she she grew up not so different from most girls, a small town experiencing, you know, some of the, you know, common struggles, uh, school, friends, boys, like many young people do, but her home was filled with turmoil. And at nine years old, as we are finding with many of these, you know, young gals and guys for that matter, who end up in this uh, industry, she was sexually abused by uh, you know, some a teenager, an older girl, and uh, assaulted numerous times by boys who she felt cared about her, and that's part of what is done with sex trafficking. They are lured in. Now, she was lured in initially by money and with a skewed fairy tale idea of love, and she ended up being violated, hurt, trafficked, abused. And now, as I mentioned, she has a ministry where she helps rescue other girls. So this is a tough story. This is Annie LoBear, and uh, this is from I Am Second, a website which shares people's moving testimonies. So here is Annie's story.
6: Little girl lost. Thought no one loved her thought no one wanted her, ran away from her castle. She was embraced by the devil and his false love, and through that embracing became a different person, became the harlot, became the queen of lies, the Jezebel. I just remember my dad just raging. I'd come home and my dad would be really angry, stressed out. And I really took it personal. And I think that I thought to myself that I must be unlovable. High school, noticed that the boys were paying attention to me. And since I wasn't getting any attention from my dad, I gravitated toward any compliment any pass that was made at me. I met this boy in school that stole my heart. He told me if I slept with him, we'd get married, we'd make a life together, we'd have babies. And I completely took my entire heart and gave it to this boy. And when I found out that he was sleeping with several of my best girlfriends, it was such a shock to me left high school, heartbroken, moved out of my parents' home. The day after I graduated, I remember waving at my mom when I was 18 and my dad and in the back of the car knowing I'd never come back, because I was done. I got out into the beautiful city of Minneapolis I tried to find a way to go to college but I had to work three jobs to have my own place and buy a car. And I I found like a new thing inside of me that if I had nice clothes, if I went out to the clubs, I could meet different men that liked me and maybe I could meet a rich guy that would sweep me off my feet and take care of me like like a prince would. And so my girlfriend and I started going out to the nightclubs and we had a fake ID. And one night we walked in, these men walked up to us at the bar and bought us drinks, Rolex watches, designer clothes. I looked at my girlfriend, these guys have money. My girlfriend starts to like one of the men. I told my girlfriend, "Get that guy's money. And I think what this really was building inside me was this vendetta, this deep-seated, rooted unforgiveness towards my dad, towards that boy in school. And I just wanted revenge. I was going to prove that I could make it in my life. And money was going to be the answer. My girlfriend takes off with this guy, goes to Hawaii. I'm working my three jobs. She calls me up and says, listen, I am on the beach. I'm in a drop-top Corvette and I'm on my cell phone and you need to come out here. And even though I didn't have the guts to ask her, you know, what what are you doing? I just kind of went with it. It was like an automatic walking into a dark doorway that I knew something wasn't right. But the lure of the possibility of having nice things and finally having money that I never had growing up, finally being someone important, overrode all those feelings of any caution and it blew it to the wind. And I went to Hawaii that very week, took a vacation from my jobs. And the first night that I was on Waikiki Beach, I actually sold myself with my girlfriend to some Japanese clients and I became a prostitute. It's kinda like I had this ring that I put on and I couldn't take it off. No longer could $3.47 an hour cut it. Once I found out, that I could make hundreds if not thousands of dollars selling myself $500 an hour with no attachment, no relationship, $1,000 an hour. Now it was $2,000 an hour. It gave me this immense power. And if you wanted me for the night, that was $10,000. A few months later, I started dancing. And one day I was on the stage and this man walks in, puts this couple hundred dollar fan of money at my feet and I danced just for him. And I let him know that I was actually prostituting my body. I was actually selling myself to make extra ends meet. He looked at me and said, you are so intelligent. I really like you. In fact, I think I'm falling in love with you. He gave me everything that I needed to hear from my dad. (laughs) And I decided that I wanted to move to Las Vegas. I got off the plane, and that night I went on a couple calls. I brought home a nice wad of money. My boyfriend was there, and he told me to break myself. What did you say to me? He said, break yourself. And that means give me all your money, dump your purse out on my lap. And I wasn't having it. And he proceeded to take me out by my hair. He choked me. He threw me on the porch on my knees, and he started kicking me. This is Pimp and B. I'm just choking on my own blood. You're gonna work for me. Punching me in my face. Time it is, but what time it is now is you're gonna pay me. My nose broke, my ribs broke. It was like I was looking at the devil. The prince turned dark. And if you try to leave, I'll kill you. That night, it's like I died inside. And the next five years of my life, I was with a pimp.
3: Cutting in here for a moment, if you're just joining us, uh, this is Angie Austin. The show is The Good News, and you're probably thinking, wow, Annie LoBear's testimony is really tough. Uh, but I really wanted to share this testimony uh, to raise awareness about uh, sex trafficking and the sex industry, and when people get addicted to sex, uh, to, uh, inappropriate material on the internet, you are actually supporting this industry. And so I just wanted to kind of give you an eye-opener. And again, uh, shiftfreedom.org, if you'd like to attend the concert at Cherry Hills Community Church at 7 p.m. on the 23rd, 7 p.m. on the 23rd, shiftfreedom.org. David Crowder will be there, and we've got an author that'll be there as well. Shiftfreedom.org, again, an an event that will educate you, but also um, help, because we want to stop sex trafficking, it's becoming prevalent in the United States of America, particularly in Colorado, and we want to end this. Here is more of Annie Lobera's story.
6: Every time he hit me and choked me and raped me or put guns to my head and made me do things I never wanted to do, I just did it because I loved him and because out of fear, because I knew if I didn't that I would not live to see another day. And even though I got away from him, everything you give, you leave. The money the cars, the houses, all behind, because when you leave a pimp, you leave with nothing. I started stacking my money again, but the money wasn't the same. I came down with cancer, and a couple years later, lost all my hair, had chemotherapy, I had Hodgkin's lymphoma. I started taking painkillers for my bone pain and my marrow, and I got addicted to painkillers. And that led into cocaine. I was going on calls bald with wigs because I had lost all my hair from chemotherapy. And I had clients calling me a cancer, a cancer bee. I'm staying in these seedy motels. And I remember laying there in my bed, looking in the mirror at myself, thinking that God angry with me i would get in the shower and i would scrub my body and i would think i'll never ever be clean i started freebasing cocaine and one night i just decided that i was just gonna get higher than i could than i've ever been before because i just wanted to erase all the pain, the pain of the cancer, the pain of my uncle, my sister and my grandpa dying within three months of each other, the pain of losing all those years with my family up in the Midwest, the pain of losing all my friends, losing my cars, losing everything I had ever made. I took the hit of that Coke and I fell back. I I went completely blind. It's like the whole room, the light that was on in that room turned dark. And I remember laying there. And I felt like this demonic presence just come over me, that I was completely alone and I got really, really scared. And I just instinctively knew, I knew that I was at death's door. I was in this dark, dark cave and I knew, I knew it was over. And I saw my family. I saw my funeral, and I was in the coffin and everybody was crying and they were wiping their faces and they were saying, she was just a prostitute.
4: That's what I said, Jesus,
6: please save me, I don't know if you're real, but I don't want to die. The ambulance came. And the doctor came up to me and he grabbed my hand. And he said, you are lucky to be alive. You have so much drugs in your system, little lady. You should be dead. God must be with you. And I knew that Jesus heard my prayer. And I laid there. And I had this peace come over me that was nothing I like would ever felt in my entire life. And I knew God gave me a second chance. It got better, and I started reading my Bible. I recovered and was afraid to go to church. Come on, ex-prostitute. Do I think if I walk in church, people are going to look at me and really love me? But I walked in that church, and people embraced me. And God just really started doing that inner healing. And the Holy Spirit was just like speaking to me, telling me that I was beautiful and that I was chosen and that I was set apart and that I was sanctified and I was a holy vessel for Him. I started to stand on Jesus' words, that I'm whole, that I'm healed, that I'm pure, that I'm a virgin in Him. and that gives me peace. I remember I was vacuuming my house one day, and the Lord so said to me, He said, Annie, I want you to go back down to that strip. And I don't want you to tell the girls that are in slavery that I love them. And so that's what I'm called to do, to simply tell them, God. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter how deep, how dirty you feel, that there's redemption, you are one. Left you. Redemption redeemed, set free. That's my life, his love.
3: All right, wow. So, Annie's story, it, uh, ends with, obviously, Jesus, which is a a very good thing. Uh, Annie Lobert, her book, by the way, is Fallen Out of the Sex Industry and Into the Arms of a Savior. And I have to be honest with you, when I interviewed her about her book, I've interviewed her twice, I was absolutely blown away by her intelligence. I mean, this is a very attractive woman. This is a very smart woman. And if you met her today, you would not believe that this is a woman that could fall for this whole sex industry and the sex trafficking, you know, abused and used and, uh, uh, you know, hurt to the point where she was broken. And then to start a ministry where she helps other women, mostly, but men too, uh, who are in the industry, she goes out on the streets, meets them, gives them scripture. Uh, gives them Bibles, gives them, you know, a beautiful bag with, you know, some items in it, like makeup and candles that are comforting to them, but also gives them a card, which offers them a way out, an escape route, so that they can flee if they're being abused by someone and kept in this industry, that they can flee. So again, I just, I know it's a it's a tough, you know, name for her ministry, Hookers for Jesus, but these are women who've turned their lives around and are working for Jesus now and helping other women get out of that industry. Uh, This is Angie Austin, and I am so glad that you listened to this program. I think that we're doing a lot to educate people. And again, shiftfreedom.org on the 23rd if you would like to uh, attend that concert. Uh, February 23rd at 7 p.m., doors open at 6 p.m. Thanks so much for listening to The Good news.
1: This year, the Easter Bunny is making a special stop at the YMCA. Join us at the YMCA of the Rockies for a family Easter celebration. Our Little Bunny egg hunt for children 6 and under starts at 9 a.m. Then the big kids get to hunt for Easter surprises and hang out with the Easter Bunny at 9.30 a.m. And then at 11 a.m., dress up in your Easter finest for refreshments and photos with the Easter Bunny. Be sure to bring your Easter basket to take home your treat-filled eggs. At the YMCA of the Rockies, we put Christian principles into practice with our fun and informative programs. And our facilities are located in stunning environments that help build healthy minds, bodies, and spirits for all. Please join us Sunday, April 1st, for another spectacular Easter brunch at the YMCA of the Rockies. Contact David Otis at 970-586-3341, extension 1378, to make your reservations. Or go to ymcarockies.org for more information.
3: Angie Austin here. Uh, you know, I've mentioned to you that I've lost weight. If you're thinking about losing weight, please listen to this segment because this has been the best program I personally have ever done. And I've lost I lost about 10 pounds. And I say a month, but actually it was a little bit under a month. And I have my weight loss coach with me. And uh, the website, if you want more information, is loveyourskindenver.com. It's a doctor's office, but you don't even have to go in. You can do everything uh, over the internet and over the phone or whoever you like, you know, Skype. And uh, Janine Tripp is my weight loss coach. Welcome, Janine. Hey, hi. I'm glad to be here today. Now, you gave me your story. When we first started talking, you explained to me that you'd been overweight for a while and you were not happy with your weight, and you've lost how much yourself? I've lost 34 pounds and 31 inches. And you are trying to uh, lose another 39. Right, Mm -hmm. And I've lost 10 and I'm thinking like another 10. I mean, that'll take me pretty low, but I have to be honest with you a month into a weight loss program. Normally I'd be kind of like done with it. And I'm like, this is good enough because (laughs) I think I look fine, but I'm looking for my blood pressure to be, you know, exactly where I want it Mm -hmm. to be and to be really healthy. That's my goal is health. And so I think I'm going to go for another 10 pounds because I really like the food I think that, um, I don't think it's too expensive. I really think the price is right. I think it's reasonable for the whole program. And something about the way the program's set up, I don't feel deprived. The food, like you told me, Angie, I have a brownie every night. So I thought, well, that's what I'm Mm going to do. The brownies (laughs) have protein in them. All the ingredients are natural. And I thought, you know what? I want to have a brownie at night too. And that's what I've been doing. And it really is satisfying. It is. It makes you feel like you had a
0: treat. I start every morning with a cappuccino and every night we end it with a brownie, my husband and I.
3: And you do it together. And your uh-huh. daughter's done this, your son's done this, like a lot of people we in your have, family have yeah, done it. Yeah, you know
0: what? I, I grew up in an overweight family. So, uh, I, I mean, overweight, it was my aunts and my mom. And they were always dieting, always. And, uh, of course, my cousins and I were never going to get there. And... We all got there. You know, we should never said Oh, like you said, said I'm that. not going
3: to be as big as my mom, per right, se. Right, right. And you said, and you, you and your cousins did get heavy. And you got over 200 pounds, which you dressed so nicely. You said most people wouldn't have guessed, but no, you but were I'm not only, happy about I'm it. I'm
0: only 5'1", so 202 pounds is a lot. Wow. And I'm 67 years old. So I like to say that because a lot of people, when they get older, say, you know, I think it's my age. Well, no, it's really not your age. You can you have the tendency but you don't have to take that path.
3: Well I ordered my um, second order food and you do eat some regular food. It's uh, uh, five uh, meals uh, that I got to pick out a lot of my favorites, and some of them, um, you know, are like, uh, I like the honey mustard pretzels. I like the caramel delight bar. I like the shakes. They're very satisfying to me, very Mm -hmm. filling. I like the mashed potatoes. They're very filling. There's soups. There's uh, like a macaroni and cheese. I like that. Uh, Some of my other favorites, um, I really like the bar that tastes like an oatmeal cookie, and I love the creamy double peanut butter crisp. And then you (laughs) turned me on to the mint bars that chocolate mint they taste like chocolate mint especially uh, in Girl Scout Scout season yeah right and you're -hmm. thinking this is junk food no it's not everything has uh, protein in it and natural ingredients so even though they are designed to taste really good you're still getting enough protein with each meal so you go into fat burn and at first I was kind of skeptical I'll be honest with you I was like "Mm -hmm, sure Uh, I'm thrilled and you said I've weight lost weight. like It's actually kind of average, 10 pounds in a month. But yeah. I don't have that much to lose, so I thought it would be slower. I mean, you know, I probably went into this with 20, 25 maybe to lose. Mm-hmm. And so the 10 coming off in a month, I'm thrilled.
0: Well, this is all, it's put together scientifically. It's science. And so um, when when you're on the program, you have five, you have six meals a day, six eatings a day. Fuelings,
3: we call them fuelings.
0: correct, because it's not a meal like you would think. It's just enough to get you to the next one. Yeah. And, um, but you get
3: to eat a lot.
0: You do, and yeah. you eat every two and a half hours. And then once a day, you have a meal that consists of uh, five to seven ounces of cooked protein and three servings of vegetables. And
3: I like cottage cheese, so that's what I yep. use for there mine. There you go. And I love egg beaters, so I get mm-hmm. plenty to eat. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, if you want more info... Uh, loveyourskindenver.com. Tell Dr. Jillian that Angie sent you. And you can call and ask questions. Dr. Jillian was on the program as well. You get a coach like Janine. You can even ask for her if you'd like my coach as well. loveyourskindenver.com. Tell Dr. Jillian Angie sent you. And if you don't want to, you never have to go in the office. It can be all done online and on the phone. Thanks, Janine. Thank you for having me. Bye, Angie.
4: Thanks for listening to The Good News with Angie Austin. Find the podcast of past shows at AngieAustinRadio.com.
0: With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
4: Dearly
1: beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time.
2: No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry.